The Appalachian Mountains are a place of wonder and absolute lore. There are so many strange stories that come from this area of the country, and it spans such a large portion of Welcome back to the swamp, my friends, and welcome if you're new. Today I'm going to be sharing some creepy and downright strange Appalachian horror stories sent in by viewers just like you. As always, if you have a story that you would like to share in a future episode, be sure to submit your story at swampdweller.net or the email you can find in the description down below. You can also submit it on Reddit via r slash thedarkswamp. Don't forget to hit that like button and subscribe if you're new. I upload new videos multiple times a week. Now, without further ado, let's jump right into these creepy and allegedly true Appalachian horror stories that'll freak you out tonight. This Appalachian legend is terrifyingly real. By Nick J. I set out on a daring adventure, determined to explore the untamed wilderness of the Appalachian Mountains, with my loyal companion, a sturdy German shepherd named Max. He was by my side. I believed we were prepared for anything that awaited us in the great outdoors. Little did I know that this journey would plunge us into a nightmarish tale that would forever haunt my dreams. As I ventured deeper into the heart of the Appalachian Mountains, the beauty of nature enveloped us. Towering pines whispered their secrets in the wind, and the crisp mountain air filled our lungs with each breath. The tranquil serenity of the forest lulled me into a false sense of security, making me believe that we were the masters of this untamed realm. With our backpacks laden with supplies, we found the perfect spot to set up camp, a secluded clearing beside a babbling brook. I pitched our tent beneath a dense canopy of trees, the branches intertwining like skeletal fingers. Max wagged his tail enthusiastically, clearly excited about our wilderness journey. It seemed like the perfect adventure, an escape from the monotony of everyday life. The first evening was pretty serene. We sat by the campfire, its crackling flames casting eerie shadows on the surrounding trees. The distant hoots of owls and the rustle of nocturnal creatures created a symphony of nature's nocturne. Max, usually alert and protective, seemed oddly calm, dozing off as the night wore on. It was the second day that things took a chilling turn. While exploring the forest trails with Max, I stumbled upon a series of peculiar symbols carved into the trunks of the trees. They were crude and jagged resembling grotesque faces frozen in anguish. Deep scratches marred the bark as someone had desperately clawed at the wood. A chill ran down my spine as an unexplained fear gripped me from within. Determined to unravel the mystery, I followed the trail of ominous carvings. Max dutifully by my side. The symbols grew more frequent and disturbing as we delved deeper into the forest. A sense of foreboding hung in the air, stifling my breath and quickening my heartbeat. I wondered who or what had left these haunting marks and what twisted purpose they served. As dusk descended upon the land, a thick fog obscured our vision. The forest transformed into an otherworldly realm, the mist clinging to the trees like ghostly tendrils. Max's hackles rose, his low growl echoing through the dense air. 
We continued our journey with trepidation, each step carrying us deeper into the heart of the unknown. Suddenly, a cacophony of rustling leaves and snapping branches shattered the silence. Max's instincts kicked in and he bolted ahead, his bark piercing the stillness. I raced after him, my heart pounding in my chest, bursting through the underbrush. I stumbled upon a gruesome sight that terrorized me. A macabre altar had been erected in a small clearing adorned with twisted symbols and fetid offerings. A stench, a ghastly blend of decay and something unearthly assaulted my senses. Max stood guard, baring his teeth at a hulking figure that emerged from the shadows. Before me stood a creature, unlike anything I had ever seen. A monstrous amalgamation of fur horns, and bloodshot eyes that pierced my soul. Its guttural growl reverberated through the forest, a sound that would haunt my nightmares for years to come. The creature's limbs contorted with an unnatural grace as it advanced towards us, intent on defending its unholy domain. A primal fear gripped me from within, but with a surge of adrenaline I found the strength to act. I reached for my backpack, fumbling for the flare gun that I had packed for emergencies. With trembling hands, I aimed it at the beast, its eerie howls piercing the night. The flare shot into the sky, exploding into a shower of brilliant light that momentarily blinded the creature. Taking advantage of the chaos, I grabbed Max and retreated, stumbling through the forest in a desperate bid to escape the clutches of the monstrous entity behind us. The enraged creature gave chase, its thunderous footsteps shaking the very ground beneath us. Fear propelled us forward and our survival instincts heightened. After what felt like an eternity, but couldn't have been more than just twenty minutes, we stumbled upon a clearing bathed in a soft glow of moonlight. Exhausted and battered, I collapsed to the ground, gasping for breath. Loyal to the end, Max lay beside me, his body trembling in response to adrenaline coursing through his veins. We survived that nightmarish encounter, but the memory of those grotesque symbols, the twisted altar, and that unearthly creature still linger. I returned home a changed person, forever haunted by the horror that lurks deep within the Appalachian Mountains. And although Max and I have not ventured into the wilderness since that fateful trip, I can never shake that feeling that the creature watches, waiting for its next victim in the heart of those ancient woods. The Brown Mountain Lights by Anonymous I tightened the straps on my backpack and took a deep breath, inhaling the crisp mountain air. The Appalachian Mountains loomed before me, their ancient peaks reaching toward the heavens like gnarled fingers. As my friends and I ventured deeper into these mythical hills, excitement and unease settled within us. We were here to investigate the legend of the Brown Mountain Lights, a phenomenon that haunted these lands for centuries. The sun dipped below the horizon, casting an eerie glow on the landscape. Shadows danced along the forest floor, their movements accompanied by a chorus of nocturnal creatures. The whispers of the wind rustled the leaves as if the trees held their secrets close. The tales of the Brown Mountain Lights had been passed down through generations, whispered around campfires on moonlit nights. Local folklore claimed that these ethereal lights were the spirits of long-dead Cherokee warriors, forever trapped in an eternal battle. 
Others believed they were lost souls beckoning wanderers into the darkness. With cameras and recording devices, our group set off toward the heart of the mystery. Our flashlights pierced the darkness, their feeble beams barely illuminating the path ahead. The rustling of leaves beneath our boots echoed through the stillness, a constant reminder that we were not alone. As we trekked more profoundly into the mountains, the air grew colder, wrapping around us like an invisible shroud. A thick fog began to roll in, obscuring our vision and transforming the landscape into a spectral realm. The silence was broken only by the distant hooting of an owl, a haunting melody in the night. Suddenly, a flickering light caught our attention. We strained our eyes, trying to make sense of the otherworldly glow. It danced and wavered, defying all rational explanation. The brown mountain lights had revealed themselves. Heart pounding, I reached for my camera, hoping to capture this phenomenon, but as I raised the device, the light shifted and disappeared into the forest depths, leaving us in utter darkness once more. A chill ran down my spine as an icy breeze swept past us, carrying whispers that seemed to originate from the trees themselves. Unease settled within our group, but curiosity drove us forward. We pressed on, our senses heightened, alert to every creak and snap in the undergrowth. The forest seemed to close in around us, branches reaching out like skeletal fingers as if warning us to turn back. Then we stumbled upon an abandoned cabin, its dilapidated structure standing as a testament to the passage of time. It emanated malevolent energy as it had witnessed unspeakable horrors within its decaying walls. Reluctantly, we ventured inside, our footsteps echoing through the silence. The interior was adorned with faded photographs, relics of a forgotten era. They depicted faces frozen in time, their eyes hollowed and haunted. As we studied the images, a sense of foreboding washed over us. The atmosphere grew heavier, suffocating as if the cabin resented our intrusion. A creaking sound echoed through the cabin, followed by a gust of wind that extinguished our flashlights. Panic enveloped us, our frantic hands fumbling for the light switches. But when the illumination returned, we were met with a sight that froze us in terror. The photographs that once adorned the walls had vanished, leaving behind only empty frames. A single phrase had been scrawled in the blood-red letters in its place. You are not welcome here. A chorus of whispers echoed through the cabin, growing louder and more frantic with each passing moment. Shadows danced on the wall, taking on twisted forms that seemed to mock our fear. Panic-stricken, we rushed towards the door, desperate to escape the clutches of whatever malevolence resided within those walls. As we burst back into the night, our breathing heavy, hearts racing, we realized we were not alone. The brown mountain lights had returned, their ghostly glow illuminating the surrounding trees. They danced and swirled, mocking our fears as if they delighted in our terror. With our courage drained and a newfound respect for the legends that plagued these mountains, we retreated. The whispers followed us, carried on the wind, a reminder that some mysteries were better left unsolved. The legend of the brown mountain lights will forever remain an enigma etched into the annals of our collective nightmares. My App Trail Camping Trip by Anonymous I loved camping. I used to spend every waking moment either camping or planning a camping trip, to be honest. 
I loved being outdoors away from the suffocating mundanity of everyday events. First world problems, if you will. I used to do it pretty hardcore, making shelters instead of making a tent. Drinking from mountain streams, hunting, and setting traps for our food. So in April last year, two friends and I departed on a four-night hiking camping trip on the Appalachian Trail. With loads over 50 pounds, we marched 20 miles into the lush green hills before reaching our first primary water source, a long strip of tranquil clear water in a picturesque valley. The journey took two days with around 18 hours of straight marching, our packs digging agonizingly into our shoulders with every step. Yet the sense of achievement was intoxicating. Days and nights rolled by as we walked along this trail foraging for food. It was tiring, a constant struggle, but the sense of peace that the outdoors can provide is truly profound. We skewered hot dogs on sticks that night, wolfing them down as we warmed sweet apple cider in our mess tins over the fire. We listened to owls call out like ghosts and watched embers dance up in the air like fireflies as our lids grew heavy. We found a fair amount of fruit and fresh water was rather plentiful, but our attempts at finding protein came short at each turn. We could not find any duck eggs, too slow or inexperienced to snare rabbits, and our improvised fishing rods needed a lot of work. We were getting desperate. And although we were trying, man could not live on cereal bars and peanut butter alone. We would have to journey to the nearest town, nearly seven miles away. And we got lost. After a few hours of walking, we climbed a fairly steep hill using a shortcut. The whole way up, I remember watching a thick fog cling to the top of the mountain, at least 500 meters above us. Only it wasn't precisely adhering. It was just waiting waiting for the temperature to drop low enough for it to roll down onto us, over us, and it did. I remember the image of my friend Chris being severely obscured as I walked just a few feet behind him. We tried to remain cheerful when we started seeing newborn lambs' remains. April is the birthing month for sheep, so this is a common sight, but these remained completely unscathed. No scavengers had touched these corpses, and there were many of them. We were relieved when the outline of a cottage came into view. We had yet to learn where we were. No place was mentioned on our map. My feet ached and our water supplies dwindled, having not expected to be out or lost for a long time. We decided to stop and ask for directions. We had to climb over a low dry stone wall to reach the building as the cottage was oddly set into the hillside. I noted with grim interest that there was no path leading to or from any road or highway, the dwelling being completely cut off from all human contact. We stopped as we reached the front gate, or what passed as a front gate. It was made of a few roughly cut tree limbs, crudely bound together with rusty nails and rotting twine. Chris tried to open it, but there was no hinge. It just fell back into his hands. He set it aside, politely, albeit confused. The small courtyard before the front door was overgrown with weeds, grass growing long between the broken concrete slabs beneath our feet. Dotted around a more miniature front garden was an assortment of trinkets placed in decorative positions. Things were tied to the branches of a sapling in the center of the worn lawn. Small toy cars, a tennis ball, and even a hairbrush. A wheelbarrow, filthy from exposure sat at the foot and contained a few soggy-looking books, some VHS cassettes, and a children's action figure. 
They were oddly arranged in a rough circle around the action figure. Arriving nervously at the door, I reached out my arm, feeling it grow heavy as I made a fist. I rapped three times on the door, feeling it shake under the force, then waited, listening for signs of life peering through a small, filthy window to the right of the decrepit door. I can make out yet more assorted, seemingly non-related items scattered on shelves and tables. That's when I turned to Chris. I remember simply remarking that we should move on, that there was no one home, but he didn't respond, and there was something about the way he was looking that kind of freaked me out. He looked pale and confused, and I could hardly explain now that I try to recall it. He had been looking through the dirty windows as I knocked on the door and had gotten a much better look inside the house. It was almost like he had seen something but couldn't explain what. He began shaking his head violently, hyperventilating as he rushed out of the little courtyard. I was confused and a little frightened and began shouting after him, asking why he was acting so strangely. Yeah, the little cottage was weird as hell, but I, I don't know. He was acting like he had seen a ghost or something. He only replied to me once through gritted teeth. Need to leave now. Later that night, while we were nursing beers around our campfire, I finally plucked up the courage to ask him what he had seen through the window. He started shaking his head weirdly, stuttering as he tried to find the words to articulate himself. He explained that someone had been hiding from us in that cottage the whole time. As I banged away trying to get their attention, they'd taken one solitary look outside at us, right into my buddy's eyes. My buddy said he had never seen anyone so messed up that he couldn't tell if they were disabled or just beaten so severely that their face had been rearranged. He said that when they locked eyes, the figure on the other side of the glass door looked terrified, but there was no way he could have been surviving alone up there. Something else was living there too, which might have been heading back to arrive at any moment. I thank God we didn't find out what it was. Mountain Ghost Encounter by Cecil L. So about a month ago, I took a road trip with my boyfriend. We stopped by a cool-looking mountain alongside of the empty road. He decided to climb it and see what was on the other side, but I was too scared I'd fall, so I stayed by the car. As he climbed it, I heard a faint, Hello? It wasn't like a hello as if somebody was wondering if there was someone there. It was more of just like a slight greeting, like a, just like, hello? I looked around to see who it was, but of course, there was no one around. I looked up at my boyfriend, who was already halfway up this big mountain, and was looking at me. He asked if I heard that. Somehow, he had heard it too. He joked that it was a ghost, and I laughed it off because either way, I'm pretty much used to the paranormal. We went home, and that was really it. Now, this started happening about a week ago. I sleep early, sometime around 7pm because I work at 4am. While laying in bed trying to fall asleep, my bed shakes a little and it sinks. Yes, the same way it does when someone sits on your bed. This had happened a few times. Like, like I said, I'm kind of used to it at this point. It doesn't necessarily scare me, but I'm still double checking to see if somehow, some way, somebody came into our bedroom. Usually I know there's nobody there because obviously my bed is next to my door and I would notice, but anyway, I told my boyfriend about that and again he joked that the mountain man had followed me home. It's possible, but I can't be sure. Yesterday I was in the car with my two brothers and my mom. We were leaving the gas station when I heard someone whisper, help me, in Spanish. Whenever you hear someone gossip or talk about this type of stuff, 
You typically don't really believe it. But the way that they said this, the, the, the way he sounded distraught, had me slightly worried. It was a whisper, but it was still loud. My family shouldn't have been able to hear it, but they somehow heard it too. I haven't had anything paranormal happen to me in a couple of years since then, and I've moved away from the Appalachian area. But there's something about that area that just seems to magnify these types of things. I've seen tons and tons of different stories. I like to think of it in a positive way that that mountain man hitched a ride with us for a little bit. But eventually, he got off. Our Appalachian camping trip turned terribly wrong by College Duo. My boyfriend and I are a young couple in their mid-college years. We decided that we wanted to get away from the work and our studies for the weekend, so we took a trip to the nearest hiking trail that is a part of the Appalachian Trail. We decided to leave on a Friday once I got off work and backpack up the trail to camp and stay there over the weekend. I work in a restaurant, and it's very difficult to have some time set aside to be able to leave work. I ended up leaving work around 4 p.m., but we said that no matter what, we would be going on this trip. We finally left for the trail, and we began hiking at around 5.30. My boyfriend was an Eagle Scout, so we had all the necessary supplies for a successful camping trip, and of course, necessary substances to free our minds after the long hike. The first part of the hike was absolutely exhausting. It was all uphill, and we were both carrying at least 40 pounds in our metal-framed backpacks. An hour later, we finally passed the first shelter. If not many of you know, a shelter on this trail is about a 10-foot by 15-foot log cabin that only has three walls, as it is open to the outside. It's specifically used as a shelter to sleep in or hide from the rain. Midway through the hike, it began to pour dramatically in the forest. Sooner or later, we were both soaked from head to toe. The thick fog grew quickly, as it had been hot and a humid day. The trail became very slippery, and our pace slowed down tremendously. We had hoped that we were making good time to the camping site, but it turned very dark very quickly. We took a rest in the dark as it poured on us in hopes that we would be able to find our headlamps. Once we found our headlamps, we placed them on our heads, still struggling to balance ourselves on top of the rocky and muddy path. I thought by that point, we would never make it to the shelter. We walked, never giving up, although I wanted to, as my socks and shoes were wet. I was tired, hungry, drenched, and cold. The temperature had also dropped more than 25 degrees as we made our way up. It was somewhere around 8.30 when we finally made it through to the second shelter and campgrounds. There was a split in the path. Either you could walk straight to continue to the top of the view, which was about a mile and a half away, or you could turn slightly and make a right on the path and continue up to the campgrounds. Or you could also take a 90 degree turn and walk right down to the shelter. At that point, we were drenched from head to toe and needed to dry off. It was still raining pretty bad, so it would have been nearly impossible to set up our camp and tent. We had decided that we would stay put in the shelter until the rain calmed down. We didn't hear anyone at the shelter, so I was extremely excited to have the place to ourselves and take a few tokes if you know what I mean. After our hike, I was dead set on it. Once we walked to the shelter and got to the opening, there was a man and a woman in their 60s. We instantly thought to ourselves that they were an older couple who wanted to get away for the weekend too. We told them 
that we wouldn't be bothering them for long, so we put our backpacks down and attempted to dry off. The couple were very welcoming. With a lantern and an absorbing towel for me to dry off with, my boyfriend and I took our shirts off since they were both carrying a lot of weight and water. The couple seemed very normal, and the man brought a cute dog with him that I enjoyed playing with. We began introducing ourselves with our names and where we were from, and what we were doing out here. They both said they were in their 60s, their names were Joe and Maya, and they were just messing around for the weekend. In between sentences, they were taking large gulps of what looked like to be alcohol in their water pack. They said they were just having fun and met online, which veered off into dropping hints that they were there having an affair. The older woman, who says that she comes from West Virginia, struck me to be very weird. It began with her looks at first, having scraggly, shorter-length gray hair with circular glasses resting on her face. Her teeth were very dark, nearly covered in a brown film, as if she had been using hard drugs. She wore a pullover, hiking boots, and jean shorts that nearly exposed everything. Joe, on the other hand, was just an average white male, who had gray hair and was just a tad bit overweight. They spoke about their past employments and what they had done in life. Maya said that she was a writer, who I did admire. We continued to exchange information and small talk, since they seemed very friendly. I was in a very bad mood though, and very irritable until I smoked some. My boyfriend and I periodically showed each other our phones to communicate, as we didn't have any service, but we didn't want to say things out loud. We agreed that it was okay to start smoking since they were becoming drunk. They said they didn't mind but would like to join. I thought it was absolutely insane that they wanted to smoke at that age. The man only took two hits but the woman took many and she was struggling a lot to even flick the lighter. The guys began their own conversation and the woman and I veered off on our own as well. The woman began to ask me strange questions and then told me some sort of story as she inched closer and closer to me, she would ask me to tell her a story. She grew more and more demanding, saying, Tell me a story. My boyfriend and I met online, just as they did, so I was going to tell her about the story of how we met. I began the story with, So you met online, right? The woman nearly cuts me off and angrily says, What? Why would you say that? I said to her, You all met online, right? She nearly cuts me off again and then aggressively says, What? Why would you say that? I said again, Earlier, Joe said you all met online, didn't you? She nearly shouts and growls. Why do you say that? I wanted to jump away from the conversation quickly, so I asked her, Well, you're a writer, you said, right? So why don't you tell me about one of your best stories? The woman suddenly becomes very happy and giggly, and while swirling her hands around her head in the air, she said, Well, I'm a writer, in my mind. I was extremely confused and creeped out at this point. I honestly just didn't know what to say. I'm the type of person to laugh it off, so that's what I tried to do. She just said she's enjoyed being a writer in her mind. I look over at my boyfriend and Joe's conversation, and it seemed to be as normal as can be. There was absolutely nothing wrong with it from what I could tell, but Maya nearly gave me the chills as she got my attention, getting closer into my face, asking me what I was saying. The problem was is I wasn't saying anything. I was silent, ignoring her. She began talking to herself. She would make very in-depth hand gestures as she spoke to herself, then would ask me what I was saying to her. I just wasn't saying a word, and she would wonder what I was telling her. She would abruptly say, yes, no, maybe, or no way, yeah, it can't wait, wait, huh? It was very weird. As she started to rock back and forth waving her arms around, 
She began crossing her legs, holding her arms up in the air above her head. She started to shout, Coming out, I'm coming out, I'm coming out. She was nearly talking gibberish. None of this made any sense and was creeping me out. The older man's attention was caught and he asked her what in the world she was doing. She says I'm calling out, it's witchcraft. I was nearly high and terrified of all my surroundings. It stormed loudly in the background and was pitch black all around us. A small lamp rested on a beam above our heads in the middle of the wooden shelter. It was very wet and very vulnerable. Everything slowly began to get worse that night. Maya kept slurring her words, and the man demanded she gets in her sleeping bag and sleep. I sat against the wall next to my boyfriend very closely as the man crawled into his sleeping bag, and Maya attempted to put her legs in the sleeping bag but couldn't figure out how it worked apparently. She moved around for a very long time and finally ended up curling up next to Joe on top of her sleeping bag. She was probably freezing as it was 35 degrees by 9.30. Only a few minutes passed and we heard Maya whisper. Maya said angrily, What did you give me? She growls again. What did you give me? The man finally woke up and demanded, What? Maya hits him on his back and yells, What did you give me? She jumped up immediately facing us. Her eyes were nearly all black as her pupils were so enlarged. She looked nearly sadistic and yelled at us, What did he give me? My boyfriend and I tensed up, nearly losing our minds. She screams, the same thing over and over, even louder. As her voice screeched into my eardrums, she once again turned around to the man, laying down behind him. She slowly whispered into his ear, Did you give me acid? It began to run through my mind that he had drugged her, or she was having a flashback of a bad trip. Joe attempted to calm her down, but she was still restless. She laid down for approximately five minutes, but Maya immediately sat up. She faced us, with her legs crossed. She stared at us without breaking eye contact for at least five minutes. She did this every so often, sitting up staring at us, then laying back down. She would do this repeatedly, so we decided to leave. We finally found our way out as she stared at us for one last time. We pitched a camp as far away as possible, but I remained sleepless that night, and fear Maya would find our tent and crawl into it. Missing Time in the Appalachians by Anonymous So I never have connected the strange personal experience I had with any of this phenomenon that I've been reading about the missing 411 recently. But I realized I did have a very strange experience in a park that although isn't quite as dramatic as some of the other accounts, is still nonetheless quite strange. I really don't have a good explanation for it, and honestly my mind has never really been able to make sense of it. Like I said, it's certainly not as dramatic as many of the stories on this show. There can easily be some rational explanations, I'm sure, and I know people will throw them out. Honestly, I'm not sure what it was, and I have zero conclusions in my mind, if it was even anything at all. I'm the kind of person who rationalizes all their personal experiences of the weird in my mind. So, I experienced what I believe was a time slip. I've been reluctant to share this on the show in fear that it would make my other contributions doubted. So I experienced what I believe was a time slip. I've been reluctant to share this story on the show because I don't want people to think that I'm crazy and doubt my other information that I put out there. It's a thing I haven't talked about much with many people. I have talked about it with the other people who experienced similar things and a few people who I've been close with, but it's just not something I've talked much about. And honestly, after talking about it at length with a few people who were there right after it happened, I felt like I would never bring it up again. 
so please forgive any errors and it being a bit foggy as it's been a long time since this occurred. So, this happened around the mid-90s in Florida in the Blackwater River State Park. It's only a state park and not a national one. Blackwater is a very extensive and very popular trail that connects to other trails. Although not officially a part of the Appalachian Trail, there are trails that join up to that trail and go all the way to the Appalachian. It's a very popular destination for hiking, especially up and down the East Coast, that's for sure. I and a bunch of my friends decided to go out to Carrick for a three-day weekend. This isn't really all that unusual, as we frequently camped at Carrick and other sites. We packed up and headed out Friday. Nothing unusual for us. We were all between the ages of 16 and 22 years old. Most of us were still in high school except for my friend's boyfriend who was 22. He was also the most experienced camper and a former Eagle Scout. We set up a designated primitive site a good way away from most of the other sites on the trailhead. We didn't realize how well traveled that trail was and it had quite a bit of foot traffic. If we had known we probably wouldn't have picked that site. The whole park was disappointingly packed with campers and hikers. In fact, all the parking lots were full. I guess the weather probably brought people out. Now, none of us were planning any extensive hikes as the goal of the weekend wasn't extensive hiking per se and was more about camping. But of course, Blackwater is known for hiking trails, so we figured we would be going on and off short hikes. You know, of course everybody wants to try to enjoy the scenery a bit, right? It was fall and the weather was gorgeous. We had purposely waited for the weather to cool and turn. Only masochists would go camping in the dead humidity and heat of summer. Not to mention the bugs we also chose that weekend because of those of us in high school. Most of us had Monday off. Nothing of note really happened, and we were all having a pretty good time. We went for some group hikes and some solitary hikes off the loop. Nothing noteworthy. So anyway, long story short, I get up very early Sunday before the sun rises and decided that I'm going to do a short solo hike. I tell my tent mate what trail I'm going on and when I should be back. No big deal. I had a decent sized breakfast and I grab some water and head out. So I head out on this trail. It's just about sunrise and I'm having a great time. The trail is clearly marked with blazes and signs with miles at regularly intervaled parts. It is a very well-maintained, heavily-traveled trail. I decided I'm going to hike to the nearest landmark about a mile and a half away. At the time, I was an experienced hiker and in excellent physical shape, as I was an athlete on more than one sports team. I could hike at a pace far quicker than most, but I allotted for two hours. It seemed reasonable enough to do a full three-mile circle, so I hiked to the place and stay for about ten minutes, if that because it was disappointingly scenic. In fact, I was kind of irritated because I knew there were much prettier and more scenic hikes I could have taken for the same amount of time. I felt like it was such a waste for the last day of the trip, but I headed back and nothing seemed to be happening. No bad feelings, nothing unusual. The only thing that was odd is that I encountered not a single hiker on the trail, but I just chalked it up to being an early Sunday. Anyways, I get back to the campsite and everyone is obviously very upset. I ask why and apparently everyone was freaked out because of me. I apparently had not returned when I was supposed to, and they had even supposedly gone down the trail looking for me. When they couldn't find me, they had said that they had decided to wait for camp just for a little longer to see if I would come back. When I didn't come back in an hour or so, they were freaking out and about to report me to the park ranger. I found out it was early afternoon. Everyone was super angry at me because I hadn't stuck to the plan. I told my tentmate that I would be back by a certain time, and I never was. 
No one ever believed my story that I hiked to the place I said and came right back. Everyone for years was still convinced I was playing a joke on everyone and hiding or trying to be funny. It's entirely possible I could have spent more time on the trail than I thought. Maybe just got mixed up or something. But what I still can't get out of my mind is two things. How could I have possibly spent that much time hiking three miles? I didn't linger or stop anywhere, and I 100% stayed on the same exact trail. It was really disappointing trail, so there really wasn't anything to look at that would have made me slow down or get off of it. The trails were very well maintained with blazes and signs. There is no way you could really step off the trail and not know it. And I was an athlete, so in my prime physical shape. The other thing that's bizarre to me, still to this day, I've never been able to put the pieces together. If people were searching for me on the trail, how did they not pass me? Honestly, I cannot resolve this in my mind, and I don't think anyone else ever accepted my version of events. Thanks for listening to these creepy and allegedly true Appalachian horror stories that'll freak you out tonight. If you enjoyed these stories, please be sure to punch that like button in the face as it helps me out a ton. The more likes this episode gets, the more YouTube promotes it, and that helps the swamp grow its ever-expanding waters. If you're new to the swamp, be sure to subscribe and turn on notifications to never miss a new video, as I upload them multiple times a week on all things natural and supernatural. We are super close to 300,000 subscribers. It would be awesome to hit that by the end of summer, so definitely be sure to slap that red button. If you have a story that you would like to share in a future episode, be sure to submit your story at swampdweller.net or the email you can find in the description down below. You can also submit it via reddit at r slash thedarkswamp. I'd love to share your story with everyone here in the swamp, as stories like yours help keep this show going on a daily basis. If you made it to the end, definitely let me know what story was your favorite tonight. It helps me pick better stories in the future. The code word for today is Leaping Mountains. Be sure to comment that down below. The funniest comment using that will be pinned at the top per usual. I appreciate all of your interaction and all of your help and support on this show. Thank you guys so much. Be sure to check me out on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all that good stuff. And I'll see you all soon with another creepy episode.